Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we are joined by Basil Kowash, a board-certified allergist and immunologist who has a wide range of medical expertise and with a specific focus on asthma and rare immunodeficiencies. And Basil, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chase. And I think you're going to be the first allergist immunologist on the show. So this material in particular is going to be very unique from some of the past episodes. And I know you're very active in some other spheres. I think we met on Clubhouse. So this in general, I think is going to be a really fun episode to do. Yeah, definitely. Well, then let's start off with the icebreaker question. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing residents in your specialty? Yeah, well, first of all, I am honored to be the first allergist immunologist to appear on the show. Thank you so much for having me here. We are a relatively small subspecialty, and I will preface this by saying that allergy immunology is uh, fairly unique in that residents can apply for fellowship through either the pediatrics track or the internal medicine track, which is where I came from. So we combine both adult and pediatric experiences, and most graduating allergists, immunologists will go out and see both adult and pediatric patients, especially those that are going into private practice. Essentially, all of them are going to see adult and pediatric patients. Of course, within the academic world, you can kind of have a niche of seeing one or seeing the other. But generally speaking, I think that the majority of graduating fellows are going to see patients of a really wide range of populations. If you are med-peds trained, so if you do the four-year internal medicine pediatrics residency, of course, got a leg up on co-fellows if you are to go into allergy and immunology. But if you're not, that means that you now have to adjust to seeing a whole range of patients that previously you weren't seeing at all. So if you're internal medicine trained like me, I hadn't seen a child in three years. I had spent three years doing internal medicine residency, rotating through the adult hospitals. Occasionally, maybe in the ER, you would see a teenager you know, that was being treated in the adult hospital. But in terms of the younger kids, that wasn't really happening at all. So I had to relearn some things, some concepts that I hadn't put into practice for a long time when it came to treating children. And I know that my colleagues who were on the pediatric side, they really had to adjust to the fact that adult patients have these chronic diseases that they hadn't seen in a really long time. They had longstanding, like I said, chronic issues, arthritis, things that you just don't often see in childhood. And not to mention, many of them had long medication lists. It's rare for a pediatric patient to be on 20 different meds. If you're working in a primary care office and you're seeing mostly adults, 50, 60, 70 years old, especially senior citizens, that's a large chunk of your patient population and having to navigate that polypharmacy and know what all these drugs do and how they may be playing a role. Even if you're a subspecialist, even if you're an allergist immunologist, you still have to have some idea of what all these drugs are that your patient is taking if you really want to treat them to the best of your ability. So there's a challenge of, on the one hand, you have a broad range of patients that you're responsible for. On the other hand, in your training, you might not see every single disease that you're responsible for potentially treating in the future. 
I don't think our specialty is unique in that. Every specialty has rare diseases, but ours we treat in addition to very common things, asthma, allergic rhinitis, just general cough, food allergies, things that are fairly common. We do have to be responsible for occasionally identifying things that are very esoteric and very limited in the really like things that you don't often think about unless you're an immunologist. So that's also a challenge that I would say is very common within our subspecialty and among our trainees. That's something interesting I hadn't really thought about. So in general, when you're thinking maybe primary care, thinking internal medicine is adults, pediatrics is kids, family medicine can do both. But when you're kind of going from these two population or age specific specialties into a new fellowship, that border or that boundary no longer exists. Yeah, there must be a lot that you have to review if it's been several years. I mean, it's been a few months since my last test and I can't remember anything anymore. So can imagine after a few years of that. You do adjust to it, but of course it's something that there's a learning curve to it, especially in the first few months. I mean, for me, I hadn't thought about a growth chart or paying attention to how a child was growing at all when I first started seeing kids again in practice. And there's just pretty things that when you're in a base special, a home specialty, I should say, pediatrics, like it's second nature to you. That is really not second nature if you're not coming from that subspecialty, but it's also not something you can overlook if you're going to be treating those patients. And when it comes to these, I guess, more nature or smaller population specialties, such as allergy, immunology, and the other one that's coming to mind is like sleep medicine. There seems to be an interesting difference in like which base specialties, I guess, I'm not sure the proper terminology can go into it, which specialties can lead to a fellowship in that specialty. Do you know, maybe besides those two, are there a lot of others that follow similar paths? Or why is it pediatrics and internal medicine and maybe not family medicine, for instance? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually don't know enough about the history of subspecialty and why this designation was made. I just know that you have to be boarded in either pediatrics or internal medicine, or of course, both, if you're going to be pursuing fellowship in allergy and immunology. And I'm sure there's a historic precedent that has been there for decades. And I don't know if maybe somebody from that era, I'm sure, would be able to answer that question. But yeah, medical genetics is another specialty that's like that. You can go in from either internal medicine or pediatrics. But other than that, I'm not too familiar with other subspecialties that have that designation there. Fair enough. That was a bit of a curveball anyway. <laughs> um, all right. So <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Should I, I say swing and a miss? No. Okay. Uh, we're good. <laughs> Home run. Um, well, at least it was an infield grounder, maybe. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. It was a single. Yeah. Yeah. Enough with the sports metaphors. All right. <laughs> All right. So usually at this point in the interview, we will cover what types of tips and tricks or suggestions would you have for someone going into a residency spot or maybe thinking about going into residency there. But there's not a direct path into immunology and allergy within the residency sphere. You need to have a fellowship in that. So it's a little different. It's a little interesting. I'm not sure if we should go all the way back to maybe the same thing, like what are the internal medicine residency tips? And then maybe a couple of fellowship tips that you would suggest, like maybe if they are planning on going that far ahead, if they're thinking 10 years ahead, what would they want to do in residency? Are there certain types of residencies they'd want to look for? 
in particular, besides maybe dual boarding or anything along those lines that would give them a leg up? So I think you're asking me two separate questions right now. I think you're asking me, first of all, if someone... Might have been three. <laughs> yeah, I lost count of two. So uh, yes. <laughs> no, I think the first question you're asking me is what advice would I give to somebody who wanted to pursue fellowship in allergy and immunology and knew that they wanted to pursue it, let's say they're a rising third, fourth year medical student or early on in their residency. I think my main advice would be to, you kind of have to take personal responsibility and try to gain the exposure to the subspecialty yourself because it's not, it's not like cardiology where you're going to be rotating on a cardiology floor probably as a med student, or if not, then certainly as a resident in either pediatrics or internal medicine, you will see some cardiology is guaranteed. It's built into the curriculum, the core curriculum of the American Board of Internal Medicine or the American Board of Pediatrics, I'm sure. Whereas with allergy and immunology, it's like I said, it's one where you really need to have the awareness that you need to pursue experiences and exposure to it on your own. And if you're not able to have that exposure within your own institution, then I would say that you need to sort of get a little creative. Think about if there's a local practice somewhere where you might be able to reach out to somebody for some sort of a clinical experience with them, even if it's like two weeks as a medical student, a lot of times people will accept that. Or setting up an away rotation, that's also something that can be done occasionally in residency, but certainly in medical school. That's something that a lot of medical students did, at least pre-COVID. Of course, there are challenges now during the pandemic, but current medical students, I believe, would be able to make that work. I think that the other thing to be aware of is if you are a medical student and you maybe are considering allergy immunology, you don't know a lot about it. I could spend a lot of time talking about how our specialty isn't just treating runny noses and snot and looking, telling people not to run around in the grass all the time. But that's just something I need to put out there for people to just keep in mind if you're a medical student, that there is a lot more to it than that. And there's a lot more of sophisticated treatment and there's a lot more clinical depth than you may not realize if your only experience with an allergist is being a kid going into the office and getting allergy shots. That is about the extent of my experience. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) actually, I'm sure that's probably the extent for a lot of medical students. It didn't seem like something that was common, at least when I was growing up, to go see an allergist unless you were really severely reactive to something. So that would be a good thing to explore. What are some of the different realms within this specialty that might intrigue someone that they wouldn't know about? So here's what really drew me to the specialty is I considered a lot of different subspecialties. I'm not one of those people that I just told you about where you're a third year or fourth year medical student or even earlier in medical school and you know what subspecialty you're going to be headed towards in the future. I kind of went into my internal medicine residency and part of the reason I chose that residency was because you could really differentiate yourself during residency with internal medicine in a way that isn't necessarily the case for any other home specialty. So you could go in all sorts of different directions. I think at the time, somebody told me that there are 19 different subspecialties, just fellowships alone that you could do from internal medicine. And that's not including, of course, primary care, developing a niche within primary care, or that's not including hospitalist work, things that a lot of my co-residents went on to do. So there's a lot of different career paths that you can take from IM. So what drew me to it is just 
learning about the role that the immune system plays in a lot of the diseases that I found to be the most interesting to treat and the diversity of the patient population. So, you know, we treat obstructive pulmonary diseases. So asthma occasionally gets COPD that might look like asthma or overlap with asthma. That's a rewarding patient population to work with. We treat sometimes sinusitis, ear, nose, and throat diseases, obviously not to the same extent and the same level of complexity as our otolaryngology colleagues, but we still see those patients very often. We see some skin diseases, of course. We treat eczema. We often will treat chronic urticaria, chronic hives, and contact dermatitis, which is essentially contact allergy rash that I'm sure you know about, but people who may be listening to this may not understand that the difference between a contact allergy and an environmental allergy, but we treat both kinds. And the immune system plays a role in all sorts of different, as I'm sure you're aware, gastrointestinal diseases, things like eosinophilic esophagitis, food allergies, and food intolerances. That population also makes up quite a number of my patients that I see as well. So I think the diversity, I would say, of diseases that implicate the immune system in them and the fact that you can really be a generalist and know a lot about a lot of different organ systems while still being a specialist within the immune system is really a huge difference maker and something that you know drew me to the specialty at the time. Do you know students looking for a clinical rotation outside of their school's network? Students can reach out to preceptors nationwide and schedule their own rotations. You can even refer a friend and earn credit towards your future rotations. Go to findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. Yeah, it's really interesting because a lot of the diseases that you mentioned, if you're talking asthma, COPD, you're thinking going to a pulmonologist. If you're talking about skin rashes and you're thinking about dermatologists, and you mentioned the eosinophilic esophagitis, so you're thinking ENT. And I don't think, at least maybe this is because of how we're trained with the boards and such, but you don't really get any specific allergy questions that aren't associated with, I guess, a larger system or a larger specialty. So I learned a lot right now. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of the listeners are too. And I guess that also gives a lot of options then, because let's say someone wanted to go into dermatology, but it's a very competitive specialty. They got into IM. Now they have a route to at least you know, do some of those derm aspects, even if it's not completely, you know, 100% focused on that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So a couple of comments on that. I think you're not wrong in pointing out that those diseases that I think of as allergic and immunologic diseases are, if you're looking at this just from a purely USMLE test standpoint, those are going to be filed under gastrointestinal dermatologic respiratory, et cetera. You're not wrong about that. A couple points though. One, if you are somebody who likes to collaborate, especially collaborate with other subspecialists, then this is a great specialty for that because we have colleagues, a lot of times I share patients with pulmonology. I share patients with GI. We look at the problem from different angles and really try and bring in the experience of both of our subspecialties into the problem solving on behalf of the patient. I share tons of patients with derm in my practice, and it's really one of the huge strengths I feel like about not only being in allergy and immunology, but being at an academic medical center is that there is this door open to collaboration with other specialists and subspecialists. 
So I think that that's certainly a good point. But it also leads me to the idea that maybe somebody who's a third or fourth year medical student hasn't fully figured out that choosing your specialty and then your subspecialty is not where your differentiation as a practicing physician ends. You know what I mean? Like you go into a specialty, let's say internal medicine, then you go into allergy and immunology. Not every single allergist immunologist has the exact same range of conditions that they treat. And not every single allergist immunologist has the exact same niche, if you understand what I'm saying. So if you are somebody who really, really likes asthma treatment, for instance, you can make that your niche if you're in a big center. You can be a allergist immunologist who is focused on this particular type of disease or this particular category of diseases. It doesn't mean you're never going to see any of the others because, of course, you know, you have to be on call. You have to take consults. You're going to the hospital. Sometimes you just have to see whatever comes through the door of the office. But you can develop a particular area of focus if that's something that you're really drawn to. Same thing you mentioned, Derm. If you're interested in diseases of the skin and maybe you don't think you're going to match into derm, I guess you could look at that as a life hack. You could just be like, I'm going to go into, I will say, allergy immunology is not a, an easy fellowship to get, but I, I do understand that there's not easy and then there's extremely limited in terms of number of spots available out there with something like dermatology. But you could look at it as a life hack, be like, you know what? It might be just a dice roll to try and get into derm. And if I can do medicine or peds and do allergy immunology and see some derm along with some other things, then that's going to make me happy. Some people might look at that and say, hey, that's, that's right up my alley. So I think that's another thing I wanted to just point out to you. So you can really subspecialize. I guess I didn't think about it in that aspect. I would assume that you kind of take whatever the patients are in your local demographic. But if you can subspecialize that much, or maybe pulmonology, you don't really like the critical care aspect of being a pulmonologist, then you could consider this route as well. Yeah. Or sometimes people will go into pulmonary and critical care medicine, and sometimes they'll just be intensivists and work in the ICU and not really see a lot of pulmonary medicine. Other times, they'll decide, hey, I'm going to work in the cystic fibrosis clinic and just really dedicate myself to treating CF patients and not do very much ICU life. So that's something that I don't think that I was cognizant of when I was a clinical medical student or even early on in my residency, the fact that people really do continue branching out even after they've completed all of their training. Yeah, it seems like there's nearly endless branches to medicine. And we really don't know that much about it in med school. So we're not able to really make informed choices on what's going to be the best path for us because we just don't know about them. I had a recent guest that started off in internal medicine. They went into, what is it, occupational and environmental medicine, which I had never even heard of before. She said, yeah, I didn't until my last year of residency. So there's just so much that as medical students, we still don't know. And if we don't know that, I fear that we make rash, uninformed choices, and that's probably increasing a lot of our burnouts and just general stress and ability to get the work-life balance we're all aiming for. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. At the same time, you're going to burn yourself out if your goal is to try and see literally every single thing that your medical career could possibly look like, and you're a medical student, you're going to burn yourself out just trying to do that. You can't stretch yourself too far and just do like basically 
you can't divide your entire medical school experience into just one day rotations with every single possible subspecialist out there within every single medical niche in the whole world. That's never going to happen. But you do just have to step back and realize that what you're getting is the clinical experience that you're getting, I'll put it that way, is just a piece of the pie, so to speak. You're getting a slice of reality. You're not getting every single thing. And the last thing you want to do is just be like, okay, I'm graduating from medical school. I've seen all of these people through, you know, all these worked with all these physicians throughout my training. And I had now have to be exactly like one of the many doctors that I observed during my medical education. That's certainly not true. You can chart your own course. You can establish a path. You can find something that is more suitable to what your interests are, of course, and find a way to make that happen. But just being aware that you haven't seen everything and continuing to be open-minded, continuing to ask around when you have a chance, when you meet people from unique backgrounds and specialties that you didn't know existed, or even just not even specialties, but paths within a career that you didn't know existed before. Never hurts to just ask them the question, what got you into this? Well, how would I consider something like that? And then just go from there, do some soul searching, do your homework and think about where you want your life to take you. Yeah, you definitely can't do a rotation in everything. But I think the problem is we just don't even know that a lot of them exist through med school and even through early residency. So hopefully we're going to delve into some more of those through this show and at least bring it to the attention that you know students can look into this and get a little feedback by listening to your stories and the other great guests we have on here and see if you know that might be worth investigating for an away rotation. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't do a rotation in every single specialty, but you can listen to every single rounds to residency <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> And you should go do that right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, coming back to the doctor recommended. <laughs> coming back to you mentioned before the away rotations, and at least from my experience, which is very limited in that, that didn't seem to be an option available to many students. And let's say someone listens to this podcast and they really want to do an allergy immunology rotation but it's not available through their school or it's too expensive through VSAS or they went to a school like I did that couldn't apply for VSAS. Are there any other resources that they might be able to reach out to in order to gain some actual hands-on experience? It's challenging. I mean, we occasionally will take, I don't know that we've ever taken an outside medical student, not since I've been here at least, but we will occasionally take outside rotating residents to join us for a rotation. So that's always an opportunity that as a student, I get it. It's hard. You have core rotations that you need to complete. You have board exams that you need to take. You have responsibilities within your school. You're broke or close to it because you know, you're paying all this tuition money. It's expensive, as you said, to apply through VSAS and to travel somewhere and be responsible for all of your own expenses. Go to a new city to do an away rotation. I would say somebody who doesn't have that opportunity easily available to them should probably that off until residency when and i think that if you are a resident and you're very interested in doing an allergy and immunology elective at another institution i can't imagine that you know the majority of academic allergy and immunology departments don't occasionally offer those opportunities and if you let somebody know early on like don't wait until you know beginning of your third year of residency and fire off an email to somebody and say hey can i rotate here for a month i'm setting up my schedule right now you can't do that 
But if you are at the end of your first year and you say, I'd like to set up an elective either next year or the year after and just start that conversation going, I think that that's probably more feasible for the group that you mentioned, those that don't have the opportunities to do electives at their home institutions to try and achieve. If you can do it during your residency on one hand, you're getting paid, you can make it happen easier. And on the other hand, people are going to want to take you on and show you the ropes and it shows that you're truly interested as a resident and potentially applying for a fellowship in it. Okay. Good points. Yeah. I suppose at that early stage as a medical student, either way, you're going to have to make it through internal medicine or peds. So that should be your main focus at the time. Anyway, it would be nice to potentially see like the experience, the light at the end of the tunnel, if that's something that someone's really interested in, but you'll have plenty of time later on, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I really think that this has been a unique specialty that we've dove into, didn't it? No? <laughs> dived. Oh, dived? We took a deep dive. Divided? Yeah. We divided into? Yeah. Oh, divided boy. it. It's Friday. I'm getting a slap happy. This is not good. Split the specialty right down the middle. Allergy, yeah. immunology, equal parts. There you go. Well, <laughs> I think we have definitely given a lot of unique insights and value to the audience. And I'm curious if you have any last minute pearls of wisdom to share. Sure. I mean, I think that as we discussed before, you want to, of course, know why you're doing something before you do it. You know, if you're a medical student or if you're early on in your residency, you're looking ahead. It takes work to really figure out what it is that you love and what it is that you want to commit yourself to career-wise. But it's worth it in the end to know why you're doing something before you start going down that path because it does continue to demand things of you, an effort of you, you know, at every single step. So just being honest about what it is you're interested in when you're getting ready to apply and being ready to speak from the heart when you show up to an interview, those are all things that are going to take you really far. And the only way to get there is by having the confidence and knowing that you're doing something and knowing the reasons why you've chosen this particular path. So that's another piece of advice that I would leave for somebody applying. But just as like an interesting anecdote here, we're right now in month, what, 14 of the worst pandemic, certainly of our lifetimes. And one of the most unusual time periods in medicine in anybody's lifetime on the planet right now. I think putting on my immunologist hat right now, immunologically speaking, this pandemic has to me opened up just how fascinating the immune system is. And if you really step back and look at it that way and really see that the immune system, as I alluded to before, it touches every part of the body. It's something that all of us depend on every single day, even during times when we're not thinking about it and often take for granted unless we've just seen a patient who has an immunodeficiency or happened to know somebody or happened to be personally affected by immunodeficiency. I think this pandemic has been, in addition to plenty of other things, it's been a reminder of just how critical the immune system is and how fascinating it is that we have this not fully understood cellular system within our bodies more people are going to be looking at in the future and i think it's something it's a great time to be an immunologist and an expert in that field definitely agree and as a previous germaphobe i've always been <laughs> a bit more interested in the immune system than most but <laughs> all right where can the audience find you to find out a little more or to contact you sure 
Well, I am available on Clubhouse at Basil MD, B-A-S-I-L-M-D, and recently joined Twitter at Basil MD Zero. Got it. And we'll definitely put those in the show notes. I guess I'll probably be seeing you on Clubhouse maybe a little later today or next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Basil Kowash, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Chase. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.